Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. You ready? Thanks for tuning into the 32nd episode on April 27th, 2021. Let's talk about Fiddly Fig. Not only can you listen to the podcast, you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC. And go check out the blog posts that are associated with all these podcasts as well. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast, my blog, and social media posts. You can also help support your favorite podcasts and blog by joining me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. And if you just can't get enough Houseplant Homebody, don't forget I send a monthly newsletter on the first of every month with also exclusive content and some updates on what happened the previous month. All right, let's dive in. Philly fig are by far the most popular houseplant around the world. You can open up any home magazine, interior decorating magazine, architecture magazine out there, or for the technological people, any articles online, and more than likely you will find fiddly figs in the background as a decor piece. They make a huge impact in any space by just filling any corner with really lush, really large green leaves. So the botanical name of the fiddly fig is Ficus lyrata. Some common names are obviously fiddly fig, which some people abbreviate to FLF, which I will be doing a lot in the blog post if you go back and look at that. Or sometimes they call it a banjo ficus because the leaves are shaped like a banjo or like kind of like a guitar. The varieties out there are not a ton, which makes it simple, but most commonly you're just gonna find it labeled as ficus lyrata or fiddly fig, but there are smaller cultivars or smaller growing cultivars such as Compacta, Bambino, Little Fiddle, and Suncoast. These do come in variegated forms, but they are very, very rare even more rare than a variegated monstera simply because these are one of the more difficult houseplants to take care of so they're not going to have the variegated one readily available versus a variegated monstera or monstera in general are a lot easier to take care of. Besides the variegation there's really not a ton of color variation just mostly a solid beautiful bright green leaf really really thick almost leathery and that's why they can make that huge impact because the leaves aren't flimsy and they're very very big the leaves can get upwards of a foot and a half long so let's jump right into the sun requirements and then we'll move on from there philly fig in general like a lot of light so the more light you can give it the better Bright indirect light is best, but if you do have a location with some direct sunlight, they can actually handle it. Forewarning, I have had good experience with direct sunlight with Philly Fig. You might not. If you're noticing some white that's happening on your leaves or it almost looks like it's burnt a little bit, it might be too much direct sunlight. It really depends on how the fig was grown to begin with or how it's adjusting to your space, but I have had good luck with it in direct sunlight. Not all day direct sunlight, but most of the day it's been doing good. So that was just FYI. But I currently have mine sitting in a south window and it is really doing wonderfully. It's getting filtered light from a birch tree in the morning and then it gets direct sunlight probably after nine o'clock until, well, probably after about 10 o'clock, until about two, 
and then a building gets in the way and it is really liking it in that area and it does get that direct sunlight it is right in the window. When I worked in the garden center, I planted one of these in a container at the front of the store and that location was on the west side of the building, which had really bright direct sunlight for most of the day and it actually did really well. The only thing that was damaging to it was it was very windy out front and it was kind of top heavy. <laughs> so that was the only problem with it, but it did great with light and it grew a lot. So it liked the location overall. Okay, so now I am going to jump into watering and that's when it gets a little complicated. So the main component to succeeding with fiddly fig is water. Never allow, never, emphasis and never, allow this plant to completely dry out and always keep it consistently moist. So water when the top layers of soil are dry to keep that evenly moist. Depending on the size plant you have, they usually recommend about the first two inches dry and then to water. But obviously if you have a planter that's four inches tall, like I do, then it would be like the first inch, half inch <laughs> is dry, then you can water. So this in general is gonna take trial and error and listening to this podcast alone will not necessarily guarantee you to succeed with fiddly fig. I have failed twice before. So don't be discouraged if you don't have as much success with it as you'd hope in the beginning. The watering requirements, humidity, fertilizer, all of that also really depends on the environment you have it in. So allow yourself some wiggle room with those things and keep those things in mind. Consistency is very important, as I said. So if you can try to water your fiddle leaf fig on the same day, if possible, with the about the same amount of water, that will really help the growth pattern and leaf health I guess is the right term. The overall look of the leaf will be more consistent as well. So currently I water mine every Sunday, <laughs> once a week, every Sunday, because it's in such a bright window, it dries out quickly enough that I do have to water it every week. I do check it often throughout the week though, just to make sure. And so far that has been pretty good for me. And I try to be real consistent because I am determined not to fail with this third one I've had. So if you're worried about overwatering or underwatering, Fiddly figs do give you signs that they're stressed. So if you're noticing yellowing or brown browning leaves, those can be signs of issues more than likely related to watering. Unfortunately, it could be that it's over or underwatered. You just have to be able to determine, okay, I've been watering every four days and now I'm having browning leaves. Maybe it's too much water or I've been watering every three weeks might not be enough. So you just really need to assess your situation and determine whether it's over or underwatering. I have had conflicting sources tell me some people say yellowing is underwatering, some people say yellowing is overwatering. So I'm not going to tell you which is which because it really just depends. In my experience, I have killed my first two Philly figs by underwatering. So the leaves for me started to turn brown and the edges started to turn crispy and the overall plant just like kind of drooped a little bit. You couldn't see the drooping as much. And then the leaves just started dropping like flies from the bottom of the plant moving upward. It almost looked like the browning on the edge of the leaves started spreading inward on the leaves. And by the time I really got to paying attention to it more and watering it, it was too late. So in the first few months that you have your fiddly fig, I would monitor it closely so you understand what it needs. And this 
if you can't tell based on what I'm already saying, is not a beginning plant. So if you are a beginner plant owner, this is not one you should be grabbing. Even though it's pretty and you might want it, I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> so another component that actually can help with the success of your plant is humidity. But I have seen several houseplant lovers on Instagram that don't actually provide extra humidity on their fiddly fig and it's doing really well. I do have mine sitting near my humidifier. I probably turn it on as much as I remember, so consistently every two days maybe, and it runs for about 10 hours. But it is a small humidifier, so it doesn't catch every single plant around the area, but it does increase the humidity in that section of the house. And I do miss this guy probably every other day just so I can provide that extra humidity. I don't know if it's necessary, but I'm really determined not to kill this thing. And so far it's working. So I'm going to keep doing it. So now let's go into fertilization and propagation. All right, so for fertilizer, as I always say, there are lots of different ways to fertilize your plant. And unless you're extremely over fertilizing it, there isn't necessarily a wrong way to do it. I currently still use the Espelma indoor liquid plant food. I fertilize every two weeks when I water my plants starting around the end of February through probably through October. And I honestly probably only fertilize once maybe twice in winter because the plant isn't actively growing as much or isn't actively growing. And I only use about a half to three-fourths of the recommended amount of fertilizer because I would rather under-fertilize than over-fertilize. But I was flipping through my sources that I have just to see what they said about fertilizing. And I saw something very different. And honestly, the way I've been fertilizing has been working, but this could work better. I'm not quite sure. You're welcome to try it. But the Complete Houseplant Survival Manual by Barbara Pleasant says, feed three times a year, spring, midsummer, and fall with a high nitrogen foliage plant food that includes micronutrients. So high nitrogen means that it is more focused on the foliage health and growth versus if you were using a fertilizer with a high phosphorus count, then that would focus on root growth and blooming and so on and so forth. I've talked about the fertilizer makeup where they include the numbers, like three numbers with a dash in between, and that is the amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in your fertilizer. If you buy a fertilizer with a number that is high on the very first number, that means you're buying a fertilizer that's focused on foliage growth. So that's what they mean by high nitrogen foliage food. The micronutrients are found in many fertilizers, but one brand I actually really like that I know has it is Fox Farm. A lot of local garden centers have it. I'm not sure if the big box stores have it, but I do know that Breezy Hill used to sell at the nursery that I used to work at. I've seen it at, at least around this area, there's a Milliger's and a Stein's. They all have it too. So probably your local garden center might have it, but I don't think Fox Farm sells to big box stores. Don't quote me on that, but I don't think I've seen it there. And again, fertilizing is totally up to you. So as you can see, I fertilize totally different than what the houseplant survival manual said to do also. And there are lots of different ways to do it. Just remember under fertilizing is healthier for your houseplants than over fertilizing. And as long as you remember that, you can really do a trial and error and see what works best. I used to use a slow release granular fertilizer, but I wanted more control over how much I used from time to time. So that's why I switched over to the liquid indoor. So it really depends on the time you have to do it, what you want to do, what products you want to use, whether it's organic or not, or so on. So totally up to you. 
Okay, so for propagation, there are two ways. There's probably more than two ways, but two main ways that people propagate Philly fig, and that is through stem cutting and air layering. I talked about air layering back in my rubber plant podcast way in the beginning, but stem cutting is probably the most common way of propagating a houseplant and one of the more successful ways of doing it. So for stem cutting, you just cut the stem just below a leaf node and you make sure you leave at least about 12 inches, at least if you can do bigger, that's probably better, about 12 inches of the stem for propagating. And you would leave at least one leaf at the top of the stem. If you can leave a few more, that would result in a fuller plant up front once you do propagate it, but up to you. If you only have one leaf, that's fine too. You would pull away any of the leaves at the leaf node area that you're actually putting in the water or soil to propagate it. It may take a couple months before you see any healthy root set on the leaf nodes, but it should happen. I have seen it successfully done in water and soil, so I would say whichever one you like doing best is up to you. I prefer water because one, I love to see the roots grow and it's just really cool. And I've also noticed for me personally, water propagating takes less time than soil propagating. Granted, I know there's different components to soil propagating. It could be doing better, but I have noticed that roots form faster in water propagation, at least for me. The second way of propagating is air layering. And this is a really cool method I've actually never used because I've never had plants that were big enough. So This is the type of propagation that's frequently used because you don't have to remove the stem from the parent plant to actually grow the roots. I have seen several people on Instagram that I follow do it very successfully, so I will walk you through that real quick. All you need to do is cut a wound in the stem, no more than about a third of the way deep, and it can be in the middle of the branch. It doesn't need to be directly where a node is or anything, and you would wrap that wound with moist sphagnum peat moss kind of encasing the cut area. That way it keeps that area moist and encourages root growth. And then you directly wrap that space with plastic wrap, which holds in the moisture and obviously holds the moss in place. So you would just tie off the plastic wrap above and below where the moss is. And you do wanna allow some space at the top of the plastic to water when the moss is drying out. And after a couple months, Check the moss to see if roots have started growing successfully and if you think they're large enough or ready to move into soil or whatever you decide to put it in, then you can cut just below where you did the air layering and plant it into your new container. It's that simple. I've never done it. I think once some of my plants get a little bigger, I might try it. I do have two rubber plants. I could try it on that eventually. I want them to get a little bigger first, I think. But I think it's also a very easy way of doing it because then it's still getting the nutrients from the mother plant. So it's not like shocked that I got cut off and then all of a sudden it has to start a new life, (laughs) you know? So those are the two ways to propagate your fiddly fig. Okay, let's dive into all the other fun facts and the few Instagram questions and answers that I had for you today. The fiddly fig is part of the Moraceae family, which is the mulberry or fig family. It is native to Western tropical to Central Africa, which in those areas, it's actually growing as a pretty large tree getting around 60 to 100 feet tall, depending on its environment. When it's grown in its native habitat, it does produce fruit, but as a houseplant, you won't see that fruit at all. For example, the native habitat that this plant is used to is hardiness zone for 10 and 12. I currently live in zone five. So there would be absolutely no way this thing could survive outside around me. 
in your home, this plant can grow anywhere from four to 10 feet, depending on the variety you get. Obviously, there are the more compact varieties these days, but you may have a plant that's even taller than 10 feet if you have the room and you will allow it to grow that large. The longevity of the plant can be many, many years or whenever your home runs out of room. So if you buy a regular ficus lyrata, not the compact version, make sure you are prepared to give this guy space. Or if you're not, make sure you purchase from a reliable source that it is really a smaller plant immaturity like the bambino or the little fiddle or something. Now, if you do have a big fiddle and you love it and you want to keep it, but it is growing above where your ceiling is, you can cut it back just like you would a regular stem cutting. In that case, you would cut just above where new leaves are forming and you can actually propagate that if you really wanted to. If not, whatever, but you can cut it back. It's totally natural to do that. Sometimes if you cut it back, it actually might start branching. So instead of that one branch that you had, it might start growing off two branches. So sometimes that could help your plant look a little fuller as well. If you have a large fiddly fig, it is normal for the leaves to drop off the bottom. So on my blog post, I have my fiddle that I currently have, which is very small. It's only about maybe six inches tall. I got it from Water Farms for only about $4 and it had some issues. I'll talk about that in a minute, but it's actually growing really well and it's formed, I think, three new leaves. I also have images from one of my favorite Instagram accounts, which is um, her Instagram handle is this is Drover, but her name is Colby and she has a gigantic fiddly fig. I messaged her and I asked her if I could use her pictures because mine is just so puny and tiny and she's hilarious and her fiddly fig is amazing. She had bought the fiddly fig from Home Depot for about like she said $17. I think now she said it's about five years old, at least in her home. And he was probably about like two and a half feet tall based on the picture she had. And now he's like a solid seven or eight feet tall. And she had originally an apartment that had floor to ceiling windows. And then they moved into a house and she didn't really have obviously that much light. So currently she has a grow light specifically on that plant because fiddly figs are sensitive to moving them if you don't put them in a healthier space. So I do have a lot of her pictures on my blog if you want to see them. I also tagged her account if you want to go follow her. She is hilarious. She's a big Gilmore Girls Friends fan. So she also is from Canada and I feel like if she lived closer to me, we'd be BFFs and maybe that's a one-sided relationship. Who knows? But Colby, if you're listening, thank you for the images. <laughs> if you want to go follow her, just go to the blog post because um, I set up a direct link to her Instagram. Otherwise, it's at this is Drover, D-R-O-V-E-R. So go check out the blog post for those pictures or go check out her Instagram. Point being, she also talked about her fiddly fig I caught her story one day and she was talking about her fiddly fig a little bit and she did say that she has some bottom leaves that do fall off and that's completely normal and she did cut back her fiddly fig because it was getting kind of tall and she did want it fuller and it did split off into two branches in a couple of places and she propagated all of them. I believe she water propagated them so it's fun to see those progresses too. So now she has several little baby fiddles. (laughs) Okay, and then because these leaves are so nice and big and rubbery, make sure to clean them occasionally. Now, it's not only for this plant, for most of your house plants out there, you wanna make sure you're cleaning the leaves because you wanna make sure they're allowing for proper photosynthesis and it helps keep them free of pests or problems. 
And the last little fact is that these are unfortunately toxic to pets and humans. I did just do a podcast. The the last podcast, 31, had a bunch of information about that. So if you want to listen to that, check that out too. But that is the other facts about Philly Figs. So let's dive into the Instagram Q&A. I asked followers if they had any specific Philly Fig questions they wanted me to address in the podcast or the blog. I do have to say I asked if there were Philly Fig questions right when I posted my 31st podcast and I forgot to screenshot it in time because you can't see the answers after 24 hours. So I might have missed a couple from that, but I believe I addressed most of the questions and nothing was standing out in my brain that I missed. So I did ask a few days ago and I got a couple more questions, which are probably the most prevalent questions that people have. So at least I got these two. So if you did ask a question uh, two weeks ago, I'm very sorry. But if you want to ask it again, feel free to DM me or private message me and I will talk to you about it. But anyway, so one question was, why do red dots form on new leaves? So these red spots are actually formed by an influx in water. So the fiddly fig takes in more water than it's expecting and the leaves cells burst and die. And this process is actually called edema, which results in the tiny red or brown dots on the leaves. So when I first bought mine, the biggest leaf was covered in red and brown dots. And I looked it up and that's what it was. So it's not like any major damage to the leaf. It's just a sign that your watering is really inconsistent and it needs to be a level out. So I do have a really good picture of it on the blog if you want to see what it looks like. So make sure you go check that out in that Q&A section. But that's all it is. That's just another way the fiddle will tell you that your watering is inconsistent and you need to fix it. My second and my last question that I have is what do large brown splotches on the lower leaves generally indicate? And I hate to say this, but this depends. This more than likely is a watering issue, but it could actually be a temperature issue. So first things first, make sure your fiddly fig is not directly near a place in your home that abruptly changes in temperature, like an air conditioning unit, a heater. If you're in a colder environment, make sure they're out of drafty windows and doors because that could be the problem. If you're noticing that is not the issue for you, more than likely it is a watering issue, whether it's lack of or too much. I have had success with keeping this plant consistently moist. So you have to keep this thing consistently moist, but never drowning in water. Watering around the same time with the same amount of water can help with that consistency factor that we learned is also very important. So again, monitor this thing for the first few months. For me, it was always better to slightly overwater it than it was underwatering it as long as your pot has drainage and it has a potting mix that is well-draining. So if you're really unsure about what to do, I would honestly water it a little too much rather than not enough. At least for me, in both instances, not watering enough, like there was no turning back for it, which I would much rather water it a little too much and have the red dots on the leaves than all of a sudden losing all of my leaves because I underwatered the thing, you know? So it might be different for more people, who knows, but for me, I've killed two by underwatering and I noticed when like the bottom leaf was dying and it was still too late, I couldn't turn it around. So that's my experience with it. The brown splotches are an indication of watering in general. In my experience, I've underwatered, they've turned brown, the plant died. I have also seen overwatering root rot can cause the brown splotches too. So as long as you're letting that first 
depending on the size of your plant, inch, two inches of soil at the top to dry out before you water, you should be good and it could be an underwatering issue at that point. Capiche? Okay, that's all I got for Fiddly Fig, guys. Thanks for listening to episode 32 of Houseplant Homebody, all about the fiddly fig. Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this podcast. If you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog tab, you'll find it there. Also, there are links to Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC on my website. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're doing all the commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast my blog and social media posts. I love to hear from all of you and what you've learned through your own experience or through this podcast. And you can also help support your favorite podcast and blog by joining me on Patreon for early access to podcasts, exclusive content, and exclusive podcasts. So your support means everything to me and I am very excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. And don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for more podcasts and corresponding blog posts. From one houseplant homebody to another, See you next time. Well, hello. As usual, you didn't get rid of me yet. I have two things to talk about. One, I wanted to tell you I'm going to start a highlight on my Instagram about my fiddly fig progress. This is probably one of the more requested podcast episodes for a specific plant bio. So, I like to show the progress of how it's growing. Since mine is so small, it'd be interesting to show you guys how long it takes to get larger and larger and larger. I actually currently have another highlight that is for my mini Monstera I got in the mail. And I was just wanted to see how long it would take for fenestration to actually happen. So I have the I have the Monstera highlight, but I will add a Philly Fig highlight on my Instagram the week that this is released. It'll just be labeled FLF because I can't fit that whole title in there. So look out for that on Instagram if you do want to see the progress. And number two, I want to take a second and thank everyone that is listening and supporting me and Houseplant Homebody. It's been really fun to do this podcast and this blog, and I really love talking to all of you about houseplants and even more. So I've gotten a few more Patreon members, which is amazing. So I want to take time to thank you. Not only are you helping support the operations of Houseplant Homebody, you're actually investing in its future, which gives me so much encouragement for what really the future has to hold. And I'm just very excited that I'm connecting with you guys and you guys love it just as much as I do. And I've really gotten a lot of private messages and comments, follows and shares on Instagram, Facebook, both. But a lot more on Instagram. And I also want to just thank you for all of that. I know people around the world listen to this podcast and follow me on social media. And I just absolutely love hearing from all of you. I love seeing your guys' comments and what you have to say or your take on something. So it literally makes my day when I see you guys on my account. So I can't say that enough. So thank you so much. I hope you guys have a lovely week and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.